0: You're listening to a Called Collective podcast where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry
1: leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at collective
0: Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 10, Griffin. Can yeah, you believe that, brother? Double digits. Double I was, digits. I thought it was like seven. Seven. I've been losing track. <laughs>
2: I just get lost. It bit, all just blends you know? together.
0: But everybody, this is Coffee and Calling with Dan and Griff in the, in the morning today. We are oh, in the AM right now. It's like Bob and Tom. Bob and Tom. So, Griffin, I know this is a common question I've asked you each week, and I want to see what, how are you doing?
2: Good today, better oh, than Halo. yesterday. Better than yesterday. I, don't, I can't play Halo. You can't play, I, Halo? I, I don't have an Xbox, but oh gosh, you know, PlayStation is, is, is better, so I can't really complain oh. too much.
0: Well, I hate, well, I don't know if I can give you a high five after saying that. Oh, but, uh, but here we go. Let's just do it. You ready? Yeah, that was weak. We gotta get, come on, wait. That one was good. Boom. That one was, that was good. perfect. That was palm on palm right there.
2: Well, Dan, we've got a very special guest today, someone very near and dear to your heart. Why don't you introduce him for us?
0: Yes, we have here with us today the wheel and dealing, the sharpshooter, the gym dominator, the British stallion, my dad,
1: Christopher Nicholas Wetlore. Wow. Well, after that introduction, what can I say? You're like Ric Flair's up in the house.
0: (laughs) Goodness. So for anybody listening, I'm super excited for today's episode because my dad, Pastor Chris Wettler, is here with us today. And for anybody that doesn't know you that's listening, can you just um, introduce yourself, dad, where you're at in life, um, just some little things about yourself
1: Okay. Um, let me see. Born and raised in England. That's why I sound kind of funny. Um, so I, I say you all have an accent. I do not. Um, so born and raised in England, moved here 22, uh, married Daniel's mom and had a couple of kids. A couple of kids came along on the way, which my kids brought into the house. Um, been a pastor for 17 years in the Wesleyan Church. Um, currently I am the chaplain for the county where i live st mary's county in in southern maryland i am the chaplain for hospice full time chaplain doing that work right now very just a it's an amazing job and it's a, what i get to do on a daily basis is astonishing um currently working on my demon at wesley seminary in Whoop. spiritual formation merging spiritual formation and fitness regimen so if oh, you imagine okay. trying to con- combine traditional wesleyan Spiritual formation, examining prayers, but working in breathing, meditation, lifting, um, cardio, all that kind of diet, exercise, sleep, trying to work it and blend it in together. So I'm I'm all but dissertation, ABD is what they call it. So I've got two or three years to write that down cool. and get it done. So that's where I'm kind of at. Like I said, Daniel, been married for 29 years. Yeah, uh, to Daniel's mom, and so currently that's where we're at right now. So um, it's all good. I have to ask because I've met
2: people from like all over the country, but I've never really, well, I've spoken to people from abroad as well. But since you've spent significant time in the States, obviously Maryland is very different than Indiana. Um, and people from around the United States say that people from Indiana have a, a, a weird accent. Do I have any, any strange accent? No, or it,
1: it really gets weird when you get into places, like if you go into New York, yeah, like if you get into like Brooklyn and places like that, or... For me, the most difficult one is the south, mm-hmm. because in England, when I moved, first moved, here, we speak really fast, and I have a very neutral accent now. I mean, I've been living here yeah. almost thirty years now, and I grew up in a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, diverse community in England. So I grew up around Jamaicans, Indians, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Vietnamese. All the people from England with dialects, Birmingham people, that which is like Ozzy Osbourne voice. Yeah. So I understand accents. For me, it's the South because they speak so slow and it's drawn out. It drives me insane. <laughs> you know, I it's used to work. For, I used to work for a company called Solo Cup, Red Solo Cup, yeah. my cup. And there was this one particular gentleman who was from Texacana, Texas. Yeah. My boss used to just laugh at me because I'd be like, "Can you finish a sentence in a minute?" So that's like, so me, it's like that. Slow down. The faster they go, it's better. Um, But if you get up into different areas, it's there are accents in England. It's more condensed, whereas everything's kind of spread here. Mm -hmm. So the accent literally every seven miles can change. That's cool, and that's that's kind of something. But yeah, it's um. But you don't have an accent. You're pretty good.
2: All right, I, I, you know, I'm proud of that. I guess.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it's now what we got to. Look at the 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 drink of choice today. Um, brought to you by
1: Bang. Brought to you Good by choice.
0: Bang. He's got Bang Energy Drink. Now, something interesting that a lot of people, I know, you get asked this a lot, but can you explain to me why you are not a coffee or a tea connoisseur uh, since you come from you hail from a nation that tea is like the ish in everything. So to quote
1: the great Ted Lasso. It is brown, dirty water. (laughs) (laughs) Tea is, I don't know what it is. My mother, um, Daniel's grandmother, if um, thermonuclear war was happening, <laughs> she would. As long as she had a cup of tea, everything was right with the world. She's so England's <laughs> very tea-driven from an early age. From a child, I couldn't stand it. It's disgusting. It's nasty. It is brown, dirty water. To me, coffee is just the next extension. It is thick, brown, dirty water, <laughs> and I hate it with a passion. Now it's strange. I like coffee flavoring. Yeah. My dad was a patissier, a pastry chef, so he used that kind of stuff. So I like the flavor, but the minute you take beans and add water to it you can might as well pour it down the sink because it is disgusting (laughs) so yeah i i I wasn't very much of a um coffee drinker shall we say yeah
2: i was reared on coffee so my sophomore year of high school is when i started drinking coffee like black strong my dad because i wake up with my dad we go lift at like five in the morning which has recently been revived being my wife it's the best way to go but That was like, he didn't let me take C4 or like any pre-workout like that. So he's like, hey, here's your, here's your cup of overcharged coffee. And I would drink that. We'd get into the gym and I'd put up some numbers. I know it doesn't look like it. I've grown about three or four inches since I started (laughs) lifting. But, um, yeah, ever since then, like black coffee is just what I go for. I don't, I don't know why. Most people think I'm a little strange for it, but.
1: It's better than those, um, things he drinks, the annual drinks. uh, my god! Oh, there's like. Coffees from Starbucks. It's like, I f- the sad part about it is, I feel like I missed out on a complete revolution. So the funny story about this, when I worked for Solo Cup, we got Starbucks account. So I worked on machines where we designed the cups and we made the cups for Starbucks. So when Starbucks became really big, like in the late um, 80s, uh, into the 90s, mm-hmm. Solo Cup made the Starbucks cup. So I worked on the machines that made the cups. And we we realized then it was going to become this massive, like, you know, coffee houses, like Obam Pond, I think was the first company really had that and then Starbucks blew up and Mm -hmm. then everything else on there. And um, I just feel like I missed out. Growing up in England, for us, it's pub culture. So going out drinking like Guinness and going out drinking lager and stuff. I know I shouldn't be talking about this on a Wesleyan podcast, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) I'm just trying to give you a perspective. For me, pub culture, we didn't go out and have like, there weren't tea houses you know, or coffee houses or whatever. We went to the pub. So that's a whole different culture and, and I never liked tea or coffee. So I feel like I missed out on that. Mm. Um, so I pretty much drink water.
0: It's never too late to start, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't think, um, (laughs) to quote the great Ted Lasso in like the second season, yep, it's still brown, dirty water. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to go from there. But yeah, so I feel like I missed out, but I'm glad that that's a cultural thing. I mean, Daniel loves it. So yeah, he's like his mother.
2: So we've got uh we've got a question we like to ask. We're, okay. we're gonna modify it a little bit in this case. If you could sit down and drink like a bang or a Red Bull with any biblical figure other than Jesus, who would you pick
1: and why? I would pick the prophet Nathan. Um, because he is the ultimate whistleblower. You know, he's in a situation where he's gotta go and confront a king. And there's this, I mean, it's just bad, bad situation, right? Yeah. And to me, I just want to know what kind of, you know, the kind of courage and the wisdom he had to go into a situation where you know you're going to be, you know, potentially killed. Yeah. You know, and you take that whole situation, right? You've got David and you've got all the the deal with Sheba and all this kind of stuff, and then Uriah, um, Daniel and I had this conversation a few weeks ago about Uriah. I'm fascinated by him too because that moment in the scripture where it says that the troops withdrew from Uriah, at that moment he realized that he'd been betrayed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which killed him more, the spears or his heartbreaking. that kind of thing. And then you have, you have this whole confronting and he tells the story. And, and the best part, I think the part of the story I think is astonishing is that David converts. You know, David makes that decision. He realizes he's in error, But that moment, the whistlebl- whistleblowers fascinate me. They fascinate me because I think it takes a lot of courage, mm-hmm. especially when you have power-dominant situations where you have, you know, like people who blew the whistle, like um, Julian Assange with Wiki, WikiLeaks and things mm-hmm. of that nature, right? There's Edward, uh, what's it, Snowden. I mean, these guys take a huge risk. The, the guy who exposed the tobacco... When you have people who are in power and they want to maintain that power and they will do anything to maintain that power, at that moment, that person who steps forward and questions them, you know, that takes some serious nerve. And it, that whole story, David Bathsheba and the whole king, that's just, you know, I was it Walter Brugerman, the great theologian, yeah. he loved the Old Testament because the stories. Mm-hmm, he too. said he, the New Testament's got boring people in it. <laughs> you know, the Old Testament. Yeah. But that whole moment when he just confronts I'd love to sit down and ask him like his thought process and how he went about it, why he did it Mm -hmm. and what conviction he had in that communication with God, Yeah, you know, to go and do that. That to me is, that takes some, I mean, there's a thousand characters, right? I mean, but that guy's really been, that particular person has been really fascinating me lately. And as I look at that whole story and then I look at it from, you know, perspective of humankind, especially in the culture that we live in now where we see a real situation of, elites and the wealthy making the big gap between the rest of the people. And we see some really dodgy stuff happening and we see some really, I got you guys called it sketch. You know, conspiracy theories occur, exist for what reason? Because people do sketchy stuff enough, you know, that it could be true. But these people who are stepping forward and questioning this and calling people out and, you know, questioning like the, the like, to me, like whistleblowers are like investigative journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, um, before I came to America, my my academic advisor in high school wanted me to go to Liverpool University and become, do journalism. And so that was kind of a path that I was, so I think I'm more fascinated by this idea of exposing and exposing people who are corrupt and people who are taking advantage of the masses. And I think there's a there's the nature of me, I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. So I'm naturally resistant and yeah. rebellious. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect. And to me, Nathan, psh, Man, he's a, he's the ultimate guy for that. So mm-hmm. that's why I chose Nathan.
0: Yeah. And um especially with if anybody has been listening, there's been this recent podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's about uh the pastor Mark Driscoll. And if you want to go listen to that, um, it pretty much just exposes a very a church that grew to a large size and then some unhealthy things happen and it took some courageous people to come forward and talk about those things and expose certain things. And it just seemed like, especially in today's world, there's a lot of pastors that get exposed or begin to get canceled or just things are coming to light. Like things are coming to light that have needed to come to light. And it's taken a lot of people to come forward. And I know that for you, you've been in like you've been in, you've been in the local church and everything, but I would say for your, the one thing I want to ask you is that for pastors that are in this unhealthy context, um, what, what do you think it's going to take for us as fellow pastors to come forward, um, with certain situations that are happening, um, and be like Nathaniel and really fight against powers that have been put into position by God, but have begun to abuse that power. Um, what, do you, what will you say to the pastors that work under those leaders?
1: Um, I, the struggle is, it's not the struggle. The pro, one of the problems that you face as a pastor, right, is that you are dependent completely on the congregation and that job for your income. Mm-hmm. And I think that young pastors coming in have to make a decision what they're willing to compromise to. You know what are you willing to turn a blind eye to in order to maintain, and you've got to pay it, play play it, a very political system, because you have people in front of you who are giving weekly, right? Now, their intentions are probably pure and so, but I can tell you in churches people vote two ways with their feet and with their money, and so there's this balance of game, and I think that what like the prophet Nathan, right, Nathan, you have to be absolutely convicted and absolutely willing to make that step where what you're really concerned about is not what people think, but what does God think and what does that relationship with you mean? And so if you look at that angle, I think that there's a conviction there that happens. And in the case of Mars Hill, I mean, I've listened to that podcast, you know, there were people saying, okay, we were making a ton of money. Ton oh, of Pastor money. Mark was very popular but there was a point where they got to this and said, we can't do this. And so it's it's really hard, you know, and and, and I don't want to be flippant about it because we we create power structures. Human beings create power structures. We, we decide to have leaders and stuff. And when you step in against a leader, I think you, number one, you have to be convicted of and convinced of what you know is wrong. And you have to be able to articulate that. For the leader, you have to be willing then to make the ultimate sacrifice, that you might get fired, you might get um, replaced, you may be ostracized, and you may end up never going into a church again. And I think there's a conviction to that, right? And I think that's, you've got to have, that's why I like to talk about the the prophet is saying, this dude who walked in, no, and he could have his head cut off. Mm -hmm. And I think you need that kind of level. Um, the, the, The bigger problem, I think, is that, Churches mimic, and this is just natural progression. I'm not knocking this. I, I, I'm making sure I'm not knocking this. I don't want like you know, um, the Wesleyan Church calling me up and they're giving me a hard time about it, Whatever. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, we create power structures, and larger churches. If you look at the statistics, right, churches are getting larger, but a lot of churches, smaller churches, are closing. So what's happening is you're going to get a narrowing the way it's going of more prominent leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that when you create that, you create more of a corporate level of understanding. And we see how corporations are. You know, see how much they, they want it. I mean, let's look at Amazon, for example. Amazon has shut down how many businesses? Now, they say they have a bunch of businesses working for them. So is Amazon a negative or a positive? You know, but there's a reality where I think you can see progression-wise statistically. Churches are gonna get bigger and then you'll have plants off of those bigger churches. But you're seeing the smaller individual churches closing down, mm-hmm. which then puts more of a power base in these larger church pastors. So, the guys like the Andy Stanleys of this world, the Rick Warrens, the Stephen Furtex. And I mm-hmm. think that there's, when you have like the Mars Hill situation, um, <laughs> you guys are still pretty young, but when I first came to America, you know, you're dealing with the Jimmy um, Swaggerts and you know, you're know dealing with like the PTL, the TBN type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That was more based around like sexual stuff or especially Jimmy Swaggert. But then you start realizing these people are ripping people off. Mm-hmm. And I think people just got, they caught it out. And I think there's there's that call to that. I think if you're a pastor and you're young and you wanna go lead a church, it's phenomenal, go do it. But be aware of the fact of you have to be convicted. And if you're on staff somewhere and you know there's open stuff, which is really, you're going to have to make that, are you just going to let it go? Because you want to keep your paycheck and you want to support your family, or are you going to step up and say, this is wrong and we need to change that. Yeah. And and be very careful what we mean by, Mars Hill is a very, yeah, most yeah. churches are run by pastors, 99% of them are people who are generally good men and women, don't go down that level but yeah. whenever there is a blatant, i think yeah. we have to be that prophet
0: and that's hard that's hard there's this a uh, powerful story that in the last episode this one guy shares and they said they went out filming i believe in like um jerusalem or israel and they talked about this church that historically they showed some like ruins of it but the building in like the town te- in the this big like church like building um and I might be butchering this, but pretty much, long I don't. Know, pretty much, they were somewhere, and the guy was telling him about how this church used to be the one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, it was this beautiful, masterful thing. They had like different like blueprints and stuff of it, and how large it was, and it was amazing. Pretty much, some enemy forces came in, and they began to terrorize the people. And what they wanted is that they took over and they wanted to also with the religious people, they wanted to come in and put their idols in this like church temple. And one of the nights that the people from the enemy forces completely took over everything. And the next day they said, we're going to start putting our idols in. So that night, the people that went to that church burned the building down. Mm they burned the entire thing one of the seventh wonders in the world and they pretty much told those enemy forces we it it's not the building that we care about it is the holiness that we want to maintain and is that we care less about the building than we do that you guys we don't if you guys bring your idols in we might as well just burn it down and it was a revolt telling them that you can't take this from us and everything i, I think
1: one of the struggles is that listen when you have a church, to run it in a corporate style is very beneficial. You've got to have organization. You've got to have people who are leaders. You've got to have people who are workers and you've got to run it in the sense of, because you want to have quality music, worship, you want to have, you know, truly effective life-changing preaching and, you know, corporate nature creates a more organized structure, right? Then it's just like, you know, freewheeling or whatever. The problem is, is where I fear. Is that you can be that entity and a lot of churches do really well at doing it, but you have to remain focused that you're building the kingdom and not building your kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like churches will build. I've been questioning this now lately about the influence we have in, in the church has in the United States or in our communities. And churches, pastors are under tremendous pressure. They only have so much money coming in, right? They've got a balance. Paycheck, you know, paying their staff and paying the thing. The building maintenance and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, doing what they can for the stuff of the church, leaving very little left over. Because, listen, I think um, the financial people say only 6% of Christians truly tithe. Mm -hmm. So there's a big, there's a a reality there's only so many resources. So I think sometimes the struggle is, is you're just building your kingdom or you're building that church and is it, about, is it needs to be more about the kingdom. And I think when you get guys like Mars Hill, situation like that, and I don't know Mark Driscoll personally, um, but you see like these bigger churches, like I remember they're talking about um, the PTL movement. And they're talking about how they love people and hated money. And then it became they love money and hated people. And I think there's a real balance there. You can be organized and you can have all these great things but you have to be about the business of the kingdom. And I think sometimes we can all get lost in that. We can get lost in building our kingdom and not the kingdom. And listen, we're all going to be, everyone makes that mistake. Mm -hmm. And so.
2: I think the balance gets harder once you get into larger churches too. With you, you have a smaller church, it's easier to hold on to those convictions and those values because I guess the prospect for, influence is less so like you only have an influence over, let's say you have a congregation of a hundred versus a larger church um, might be multi-site that then has maybe total like a congregation of maybe 10,000 to 15,000 all under the influence of this certain church's umbrella. I think the, the larger you get, the more intentional you have to be not only like as like a head leader of a large multi-site church, but also with your um, your staff to like hold strong to those convictions, um, and I think naturally, just I think it's the way that the gospel works is when you are more intentional, and when you stand like with biblical conviction, I think you'll see numbers kind of dwindle a little bit. I don't think you'd see quite as many uh, mega churches if you, if you were taking discipleship to the level that it should be. Um, And I think you have to get to like a balance of, are we okay with less numbers for people who are more resembling citizens of the kingdom of God? I think that's something that's going to be sorted out by our generation is adapting
1: a new discipleship um, strategy to those bigger churches. I agree. I think that, so I've been a pastor of a small church and Small church and then a small church, and I've been on staff at a larger church, and there is a there's a there's a different dynamic, but the same. I think one of the key component, the leaders of the future and the people who do it really well, is if you can, you, you're always going to have people who are going to be attracted to, I mean, whether we like it or not, and when, they're going to be attracted to a church which has tremendous worship. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, listen, just in the COVID situation, Elevation Church went. Yeah, because of what they're able to do worship-wise, right? Definitely. And Fertek is very dynamic. He's ever, you know, what's that joke? That Furtec speaks, and all the Southern Baptists start tripping <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, um, but one of the things is that the church leaders who are able to create a larger church network. So, let, I mean, when Paul writes to Ephesians understand that's a network of churches, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not the idea of having one central church and then having network churches. This is not a new idea. This has been around for a long, long time. John Wesley, for crying out loud, circuit riders, they were a network of churches, right? I mean, he's the ultimate guy for doing that, right? Moving, He's just rolling. So the key I think is having large churches and then creating small groups and life groups within that larger network to then be spaced within that community. And then empowering your people to be able to then be, um the church I was on staff at last, we had the statement called Oikos, you know, not the Greek yogurt advertised by yes. John Stamos, but like the eight to 15 people you meet with every single day, influence them for the gospel. And if the leaders of the future, you guys are able to navigate that where you get, so like you have your preaching to a thousand people, we'll say a thousand people, and you're able to get 250, 300 people to do live groups, and then they invite, not just church folk, but they invite their community into mm-hmm. it. And then that expands from there. I think that's the, I think Francis Chan, you know, in his letters to the church, one of the things uh, listening to Francis Chan is, he's going to China, they're, they're planning churches. Now, a couple of reasons is they get bigger, then they have to like get smaller because the Chinese government's coming in, but it's a whole different story, right? Yeah. But in America, we don't have to worry about the government coming in and kicking our doors down, right? So I think that you, the ability to do that, which actually goes back to my man, John Wesley, right? You were in an accountability group first, then a small group, then you had to get a ticket to go to like the society church, right? And then you got to go to high church, which is where you did communion stuff like that. But Wesley created a discipleship movement, which was small, then got into the small group, and then you're there, and then you got into the society, and then you got into the high church. Mm Can you imagine we had that structure? You can't come to our church until we've discipled you and yeah. you're a believer in Jesus first.
2: Deep formation.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think that, so we have to kind of reverse that. So you have, and so then you're a church, I mean, come on, you're a pastor of a big church. You got people coming in who are from, I mean, you could have someone like me who's sitting in there. I mean, like, you know, who's working on his demon, you know, his doctorate. And then you could have someone who's walking in off the street. The ability to communicate the gospel, to where I find something and then this person finds something, it's so hard, you know? And so so I think that's where the small group stuff. And I think where the breaking it down becomes really efficient. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can do that and really focus on building the kingdom to empower your people that when they go to what McDonald's or they go to Starbucks or whatever it is, they're engaging with people and they're trying to, um, you know, minister to them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and don't, And don't invite people to your church. Invite them to the kingdom Mm -hmm. and then just say, but we worship together as a family at this church, right? Mm. So I want to invite you to, okay, I go to tapestry church. You know, well, I go to tapestry. I want to invite you to the tapestry. I think if we changed the idea and said, you know, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. And all of us who have made that commitment, we meet at this place called tapestry. And I think when you do that, you get away from the You're you're building the kingdom and not building a kingdom. And I think that could really change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and you have to understand your dynamic. Rick Warren says in Purpose Driven Church, you can take the principles of Saddleback, but he did it in Southern California, right? It may not work in Wisconsin. Or Alabama. Or Alabama. <laughs> it may not, yeah. So the principles will work, but you've got to understand your culture and your context. Yep. Mm-hmm. And when you apply that. But I think if you look at the biblical model, it is small. The smaller you get, I think the bigger you'll get, yeah. and you know. And so, like, I've been really pondering this idea of influence. What influence do we really have in the church and our communities? Are we making any difference in policy change, in the future of our nation, in the how we're dealing with people on social issues like mm-hmm. the unhoused? You know, what are we? You know, are we really making any difference? And I'm not, trying to knock, I'm not trying to knock the church. I still think that the greatest hope for the world is the church, mm-hmm. but I don't trust government as far as I could throw them. You know, that's just my, but that's my growing up in um, section age poor housing in England and <laughs> under the Thatcher years. So I have a little, little plus Gen X sort of resistance. So I mm-hmm. think there's, there's this reality that we have to get into our communities and be willing to proclaim Christ mm-hmm. and then invite them into the family and that family we may meet at this church. And stuff like that. That's, I mean, I think that yeah. I, Francis Chan is onto something. I know he gets kind of knocked, but he's really onto something. And I think that people are paying attention to it. So I yeah. think like, if you make
2: the people in your congregation more aware of their influence, I think that's when like things really get, because as a, as a pastor, you have influence over people for the hour that they're at church on Sunday. And then with whatever programming you put into place throughout the rest of the week. So if you, start with that smaller model where they are deeply formed and they are equipped to go out and to really evangelize and to make disciples of their own. I think they'll begin to see the power they have through Jesus and through the spirit in them and therefore use their influence because they're coming into contact with way more people who aren't going to step foot in a church than pastors ever would unless they're intentionally you know, working a second job at like a factory. Right. So if you let people say, who does that? Who does that? that? Not me. me." (laughs) Um, So I think if you, if your congregation starts to really see the influence and, and the power that they have in the lives Mm -hmm. of those around them and how they can truly influence their communities. And like you said, those eight people that they have Mm -hmm. close contact with, heck, even start with their neighbors, actually pay attention to your neighbors instead of, you know, drive, you know, fifteen miles across town to get to your church. What can you do with the people right next door to you? Yeah. Instead of like completely disassociating and say, Oh, I'm gonna go to church over in this nicer part of town. You know, like something like that. Like yeah. or
1: and, and, that bigger yeah. church,
2: go do something in that community. I don't and, know. And, and,
1: and it's a struggle because you've got like I mean, you're a young family, you got kids. It's easier to go to a big church. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. Where there's the kids program's fantastic, right? You can drop your kids off. Now, my good friend, Christina Embry, who's in my demon, she works for Plowshares. That's their uh, ministry movement, which is really family-orientated, smaller church-type thing. She does this whole thing about the problem with some of that is the generational breakdown. Grandparents are not spending time with the grandkids. They're not doing worship together. And There's some danger in that, right? And, um, and you should go look her. Her name's Christina Embry. Go look her up. She is phenomenal. She's speaking all over the world about this, this her dissertation, and it, it's astonishing stuff. But it's easy for me to – so, I mean, I've stepped out of full-time ministry in the sense of I'm not in a church. So the last six months working for hospice, I get to traverse the county I'm in.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: I've been in many people's different homes. In St. Mary's County, where we live, is predominantly a Catholic. Predominantly? Yeah. The two largest churches are Protestant, but it's predominantly Catholic. But I've been visiting with people and I've been doing ministry with them. I've done more ministry in the last six months than whatever. But when I'm in a church, the church I was on staff at – it's a large church. We, I mean, mm-hmm. before COVID, we were right, over a 1,000 people, right? And before COVID kind of changed everything. And as a spiritual formation pastor and running the life groups and stuff like that, you're really involved with those people and you're not necessarily involved in the community per se. Now I'm kind of outside of that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm traversing. There is a real serious, this is what I'm saying about the influence, because when I go and visit people, and predominantly in the we'll take the Roman Catholic model. The grandparents, 100% sold out. Mm-hmm. The kids are 50% of that. So say the, 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 the next generation now, the grandkids is 25, 75. Mm-hmm. 25 still go, maybe sometime, 75 Not The great grandkids, it's like 5% to like 95. They don't even really want it. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it from boomers to Gen Xs to Gen Y, Gen Z, that number is X precipitously dropping. And that's just in Roman Catholic. But in our county, there's a hundred and some thousand people. But I'm seeing this when, so the church on the I would say that I used to work there. And they would go, um, well, where's that? And I said, it's the big church behind the Dollar General. Oh, okay. You know, and that church is, we did great things. You know, there's tremendous things happening. There's growth in that church and there's really, uh, food, food bank and all this kind of, some tremendous things and some outreaches but people really didn't know where it's at. And I was going, mm-hmm. so then I was saying like, and I know that's not the intention of the staff and the church plant that we've planted off of that. That's not the intention. It's about reaching the community. Oikos is what we want. But I'm seeing this idea of, um, and really expanding on Romans 12 too, right? So if you read Romans 12 too, the three main words there are conform, and then, you know, then it's transform and then it's renew. That word conform there, I'm gonna butcher this. I think it's Suskay Masadzo, I think is how you say it. Uh, I, I'm gonna butcher the John if John Jerry's listening to this, he's gonna shoot me. I know, for a <laughs> butcher in that. But it literally means do not conform. So if I'm not conforming, then I'm in open rebellion and resistance. So the struggle is for the church, sometimes our patterns become the patterns of the world yep. in the corporate sense, right? And trying to not. Trying to, you need corporate structure, but not be conformed to the way the corporate of the world works, right? So you are going to be, you have to be in, Paul was in open rebellion and resistance. Jesus Mm -hmm. was in open rebellion and resistance. Didn't use guns, he didn't do anything like that. You know, we're not gonna start a revolution here. But there's that, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Then it says to be transformed. So that means that transform word there, um, metamorpho? metamorpho, I think is how you say it. Metamorphosis. You are different. You look different. You act different. It's both, they, see, they use the same word for the transfiguration of Christ, right? So the, the three disciples go up and go, oh, whatever. And so Christ transforms into something, not the human, but the deity of it version. So there's a physical transformation. There's an actual, they could visualize tangibly a difference. But then it also means your moral and um, um, physical character. So basically, when, you're in, when you don't conform to the world, you're transformed to look like Christ, act like Christ, speak like Christ, and then that next word is renewed. literally means to renovate. So imagine your house, your body, your whole, your whole being is being transformed and changed into the image of Christ. Paul writes, says, you're the ambassadors of Christ, I think is what Paul writes, right? So imagine if we had churches, and I point the fingers at myself, Right, because I look at myself and say, am I just an amalgamation of worldly thinking and Christian thinking? And I'm kind of doing like we all do, where we kind of blend it together and we say, "Oh, we're Christians. Or do we need to go to that next level where we become completely sold out for the gospel? And we we live in the world, but we're not part of the world. So a lot of what I've been thinking is, I think if we do that, you imagine the change of a group of, of the church in North America, suddenly said, we're going to live completely like the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to, and I think that there's, and so I'm going back earlier, I think one of the things we all end up doing is we compromise. And we all do it. I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're the holiest person on the planet. There's a compromise that sometimes happens. And you have to learn what you live with. And, and then the idea of influence. I was talking to someone the other day, you talk about a pastor. The average pastor speaks for 25 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. You have... Church of a thousand people, that pastor's got 25 minutes to influence you. Joe Rogan, who's the world's largest podcast at this moment, produces maybe four to th- three to four episodes a week, right? Mm-hmm. Three hours long. And 265 million people are listening to Joe Rogan for 12 hours. And you're a pastor and you've got 25 minutes. I mean, who's going to have the greater influence?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I saw the other day Kim Kardashian, not knocking the Kardashians, 265 million Instagram followers. Rick Warren has one million. Who's the most influential person in that? In that, who's listening to that, right? So you have got people like Joe Rogan, who I listen to Rogan at times. There's some things I won't listen to, but he's not a person espousing religion. In fact, he's anti-religion. You know, he has people on there who are trying to do certain different things, but that's influencing the culture. I mean, I think Jon Stewart's number two now. But if you look at the top 50 podcasts in this country, Ben Shapiro, who's Jewish, but predominantly political, Mm -hmm. and Dave Ramsey, who's financial, but person of faith, they're the only two who have anything directly Christian or religious-based in those top 50 Mm -hmm. podcasts in this country right now. Who has more influence? Right. We've and I think that what we need to do is where the church is, we need to get more pastors doing that, more leaders doing that. And we as the church need to start blasting and sharing it. And that's a great way to say, hey, listen, imagine doing it and just take a podcast like this and say, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna when you think this, I'm gonna put this out on my Facebook page, you know. And they'll say, Well, never mind that guy again. He's scared, he's a lunatic. But what I'm trying to say is we as the church have to support our pastors and we have to support the movement of building the kingdom. In our local congregations, and we've got to get it out to our community and mm-hmm. not be afraid to it. But what happens is, is that when people you start being that person, everybody starts looking at you. So you better be in that place of, um, you know, not conforming, being transformed, and being renovated, because people are going to look at you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which and um, so long story short, um, I think there is that challenge to be like Nathan to sit there and stick to our convictions and say, and what, one of the reasons Nathan steps forward is that, and for anybody listening, as we've been talking this through, um, when the Lord has asked you to do something to fulfill his covenant and mm-hmm. to fulfill his plan, nothing is worth giving up for that. Um, and you have to yeah, give those things up for, to see that through. And, Um, with that and with those things that you like have wrestled with, um, kind of get to like the, the core of our podcast and everything. Um, that was amazing. Um, and whoever's listening, we're about to ask the question for like his call into ministry. Um, but I hope as you listen to that, uh, we just take a step back and we say, man, what are those convictions we have that we need to step into that we can, we're, we're about to talk about his calling, but that calling right there not just ministers we all have to go out and care more about God's plan being fulfilled and spread across this world for Jesus Christ to be the greatest influence in this world. Um, that's, that is our, that is what we desire. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Like let's sit with that. Um, so for you, dad, um, you have a, you have a crazy journey in general like we said like we could be three hours if i asked you for your whole
1: testimony
0: <laughs> i wish uh, we could do that i know
1: i so, i wish though too my my brain is mental i just want to point out, <laughs> so, out yeah. how I have <laughs> some.
0: but uh what
1: daniel's it, gonna get a 12-hour ride home with full of it so. <laughs> <laughs> hey
2: just just turn voice memo on voice <laughs> memo. we'll put in snippets put it
0: in, put it we'll, we'll have a, episodes for weeks yeah, so, that's yeah. that uh what, it,
2: what uh only get what do we talk about on saturday or friday like a mobile recording, we mobile recording up with yes. arms in the back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tyler's riding the whole way back there with the soundboard on his lap. It is, <laughs> but um, so what are what is your call to ministry? And I I know your story, so um, we're gonna we're gonna do
1: this. What I want to do is in the um uh, what is kind of like the preview? That, I would
0: say I would say to kind of like what normally people go. What were those things that were leading up? To you having that call to ministry, or maybe even like when you came into relationship with Christ, and then like what was that calling like, and how
1: did you step into it? Okay, all right. So, born and raised in England, did not go to church. Mom attended an Ang- Anglican church. I remember going maybe Christmas and Easter. Um, no real religious aspect of my life. Uh, my friends and I used to refer to ourselves as born again alcoholic atheists. That's what we used to refer to ourselves as, right? Mm-hmm. So th- just take that into motion, so you understand now. I would never say I was an atheist. I would say I was an agnostic. I didn't disbelieve in a higher power. I just didn't choose to follow it. Right? I mm-hmm. didn't pursue after it. Then, when I came to the United States the first time, I got sent to a Methodist church camp called Camp church- Uh in 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 several several Now, this is not like kind of some of the, the camps we have in the Western Church. This was a um, it's a weekly camp. There was ten weeks. Kids came every week, and it ranged from five years old upwards to teen uh, high schoolers. Right. Not really much religiosity in there. It was more of a pay for profit camp type thing, but it was really good. So that's where I met Daniel's mom. And so did that. So, but I had some exposure to religion back then, and then, or to, to faith. And then when Daniel's mom and I got married in 92, I um, had this very profound, and I don't know how much you want me to share at this part. I had this very profound experience where my friend and I, we went out one day and we got very, 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 very drunk and um, we were both hurting, and we had some pain issues going on. And this stuff. is when you
0: and mom were broken yeah, up.
1: Yeah, Daniel's mom and I had broken up. We're supposed to get married, and we didn't. And then my mate Ada, um, his mom had died of cancer and his dad was dying. It was just a bad day. And it was, so we were, basically I survived, but I woke up and I sat up in front of, in my bedroom, I sat up and there's a mirror on my cabinet, and this light was just piercing through the curtains right between the eyes and I sat up and I looked at myself and I'm like, what, what, what am I looking at? You know, I'm, I'm out of a job, you know, my woman's left me. Um, I'm a drunk, all this kind of thing. I mean, I'm a country song, man. I mean, it's like <laughs> my dog had died of in a perfect country song. Right. And I, looked, and so I looked up and, and so you want to play it backwards, you know, and not have the voices of saying this reverse my life a little bit here. And so I sat up and I was like, there's, and I literally said out loud, I can verbally tell you as I said, I said, God, if you're real, there's got to be something more to this. And next thing you know, a couple of things happened. And then I'm in America. I get married to Daniel's mom. And she grew up United Methodist her whole life. So she started going to church. And she was going to church in the town we were living in. I started attending. Met some wonderful people there. Great Christian people. And um, in the process of that, though, I wasn't a believer. I probably was. Um, I went to a thing called Lamb Jam. And when I got to Lamb Jam, I didn't want to go that day. And there's an artist named Carmen. So for you young cats, you don't know who he is. But back in the day, Carmen was the man, all right? (laughs) I did not like his music whatsoever. Um, This is in the early days of contemporary Christian music. But went to Carmen. He did this phenomenal message. And it was just, at that moment, um, to kind of be real quick, that day was 105 degrees in Delaware. You know, anything about Delaware, 105 degrees means people melt. Typically, um, like 105, and so yeah. it was 105, and it was hot as Hades. And we're out there at night, and he does the call to salvation. And I tell you what, I just raised my hands. And I, I couldn't move. I couldn't go to the altar. My feet were transfixed to the ground. And I'm going to say this. This is the honest truth. This is what I felt. It was so hot. And then all of a sudden, as I raised and just put my hands up and asked Christ to forgive me, um, from my sin against him and my, my, all that kind of stuff. And it's coming to my life. There's this wind that came across and I felt my entire body just cool. Like just this moment of just like a nice, like a breath in and just, it was astonishing. And I have talked to people that day and I said, man, did you feel that wind? And they were like, what wind? There was no wind that day. It was hot. I said, I just got cooled. So this moment I had with the Holy Spirit and that salvation moment. Mm-hmm. From there, um, I was very blessed. That was in August 5th, 1995. I started something called the Disciple Program at the United Methodist Church, which I actually teach. <laughs> I taught it the last couple of years. Um, phenomenal. Genesis to Revelation. Read my Bible. Then I went on something called the Walk to Emmaus. So the Walk to Emmaus is Crecio originally in the Catholic, but the Walk to Emmaus is this four-day retreat I went on there, and the second night at this monumental religious experience, this moment with God, and God said, like, not in a sense of the old, but the Spirit was speaking into my heart, mm-hmm. saying, I want you to be a pastor. I kid you not, my first response was, God, you're on crack. you know? <laughs> I mean, why would you want me? I'm just no one, right? Why would you want me? I'm just some loud mouth English guy. But God pressed upon my heart to go in there. I went home from that thing, spoke to my wife, and said, God has called me into ministry, Daniel's mom did not take it well. <laughs> Let's just to say she wasn't on board. Let me give you a little intention, young fellas. Do not ask your wife that you want to give everything up while you're sitting in your new house in your hot tub <laughs> on your deck. That is not the time to ask. All right. <laughs> that was the wrong time. And she's like, it was apparent. three years later, fast forward. I went on the walk to a man. So I was a leader, came back and Daniel's mom was like, wherever you go, I'll go. And I feel mm-hmm. cool. we could do this together. So, the difference is we left the Methodist Church though. I had some convictions of leadership at that time and I wasn't really on board with, I could see the direction of that, congr- that denomination a little bit. So I went to the Wesleyan Church because I felt they were close. Anyway, in that moment of the Wesleyan Church, became a Wesleyan pastor and then um, ended up um, going to a church in 2004, a small community church um, and had a tremendous time there for 11 years. Then went to Dover had a couple years there and then we went down to Southern Maryland. Um, but that conviction was... God said, "I want you to speak the truth into my people's lives," mm-hmm. and it was. But it was a it was a process of one thing after another. And I, I want to say that I was discipled by some really good people, and I got to be ministered by good people, and I knew where I needed to be because God led me to that place. Mm-hmm. And um, um, the church I, I we left this Methodist church, which was really hard. It's any church I ever known. Daniel was wasn't even born yet. When we left, um, mom was pregnant with him at the time. My His sister, Becca, we would drive past the church at his other church, and she'd go, We go that, no, we go to this other church now. And she had a hard time with it. But I knew that when the church was Laurel Wesleyan, um, Pastor Todd Crawford, who became my boss a little bit later, um, he was a mentor and really helped me process all that. And then um, go into ministry from there. And it was it was a difficult change because I was doing really well, the company I was at. My wife was doing well. She loved her job. To make that move was a conviction. But I, so I came from absolute no belief to now being a pastor of a mm. church. And it was just very spirit driven. Yeah. And I want to kind of point that out. It's like, you've got to be convicted in that idea that this is mm-hmm. what the Lord is leading you to. So be... Um, I wish I knew more then, like I know now. <laughs> uh, probably with a couple of things a little differently. But I mean, that's um, um, mm-hmm. in a sense. Of, and what I mean by that is knowledge-wise. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really know, I didn't, you know, I didn't know my backside from my elbow to use an English expression, all right? I didn't know <laughs> where I was really doing. But I knew God wanted me to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. It, it really is. And But totally every time was a spirit-driven movement. From the moment I woke up from a, uh, a drunken abyss, to the moment I stepped into a pulpit the first time as a lead pastor, God had guided that path. And I think, he, and, and there were, listen, we could be here for an hour telling the, the whole story <laughs> behind it. We could be, but I'm not, but it's like, understand that movement is the calling has to be from God. Mm. And here's a great trick for you. Um, if you've got to make a big decision for the Lord and you think like God's calling it to you, find people, at least find three people it can be men or women, they're making a difference, but find three people you know who are deeply passionate about God and deeply passionate about their faith. They're the sanctified type people, but they're going to be honest with you. Find those three people um, and say to them, I feel like this is a decision that the Lord is asking me to make. For major things like going to ministry. Can you pray and fast for three days? And um this is what I think the Lord is calling to me. And when you come back, tell me what the Lord has told you. Because sometimes what we do, we trick our own minds. Mm-hmm. And so we need someone outside. Find three people though who aren't your friends. Like, you know, like the type, yeah, man, tell you what you go. want to hear. Yeah, so tell you what you want to see, right? Because you know, we don't want to disappoint our friends, right? Um but one of the things that is to find those three people, ask them to pray and fast for three days and then come back with you and say, if the Lord told them to go, you should do this. Mm. And then work from there. So you have, look at the scriptures. What does the Bible say? What does your prayer life say? What does your emotional stuff say? And then, but then you have this buffer of these three people yep. and find those three. I was very fortunate in my first years of ministry. I was part of a ministerial where I had three men who I could ask those questions and they would come back. And mm. you know, and it, it, you've got to find that because you can trick yourself now caveat that though with some people may tell you what you're thinking of doing is crazy and you may have to like step out and go no it's not great this is what the Lord has done I'm gonna do it Yeah, <laughs> 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 you know and I think that's important about you that. know especially you know especially young pastors coming out you're going out into a world which is increasingly not of Jesus mm-hmm. this country hostile to yes yeah, so, like Daniel and I were talking before about Jesus and John, John Wayne and Jesus' idea, right? Mm-hmm. You're moving out into a world which is completely becoming more secular. Mm-hmm. And the battle is being lost on many different fronts. And this is part of what I'm saying. like When you make that conviction, you've got to be completely sold. You, I don't think you can live in that i got one foot in the world, one foot out. I think you've got to be one way or the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get in or get out. I, I, I think we're getting to that place where there's when we, no when we, we try and merge, I think we lose yeah. um, and, I, and I know that in my own life I know that in my own personal walk like I said, a lot of what we have said today is it's me combat, it's me pointing at myself. I'm starting to question everything about who I am and certain, and certain things like and it's but in my and I'm going back to my calling and what did God say? God said, I want you to speak truth into my people and if you speak truth, I understand you might get your head cut off. Not in America probably, I would doubt it, but there are places in this world yeah. where you will be killed, right? Mm-hmm. Here it might mean my friends don't want to be with me or they won't text me or they won't get they'll block me on Facebook. Okay. Oh, that's My persecution, God. right? Yeah, that's, yeah, boy, boy, that persecution, man, when you get blocked on Facebook, you know, <laughs> ooh, you someone know, sends you a mean message. You know, it's, it's, you know someone on Twitter, you know, that you're an awful human being. I think we have to, I think in order for the church to survive, we can't be an amalgamation. And this is, now listen, yeah. I'm nobody important, right? I've never led a big church. I mean, I'm just some bloke from England who got converted by Christ. I'm just, you know, I'm just some regular guy but what I'm seeing is we've, I don't think we can be vanilla. Yeah. Um, Dan and I were kind of joking about this before is I think the church is very Chick-fil-A in a sense that what is happening is we're very corporate driven, which is great. Chick-fil-A is awesome. You go to Chick-fil-A, you're mm-hmm. going to get great service. You're going to get a great sandwich. You're going to get waffle fries and that lemonade. sauce. And the <laughs> sauce, right. And it's good and yeah. it's effective and they're rising yeah. and it's doing well. But tell me where in the Bible, Paul and Jesus and the disciples were safe. Mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A is a safe bet, right? You're not going to have- Number one it, deluxe. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. You're not going to have any issues going Spice. to Chick-fil-A. You got but you go to Popeye's and you get the Popeye's chicken sandwich with the Meg 3 Stallion hot sauce on there, that is a dangerous sandwich. (laughs) That is a dangerous sandwich. You you may not get the greatest service of Popeye's. No, no, No knock on Popeye's. I like Popeye's. But you may not get the greatest service, and that sandwich, that could be really dangerous, right? But there's something about biting into that big, thick piece of chicken with all that breading and stuff like that, and that power. That's a dangerous sandwich. There's a place to be safe. We need to have Chick-fil-A churches, but as a movement of people, we need to be the Popeye's chicken sandwich and be dangerous. Yeah. Paul, is, kick. Paul is not a da- is not a safe person. This is a man who is not safe, which goes back to a little bit to Francis Chan stuff. What Francis Chan is asking is to be dangerous, be very dangerous. And, um, but if you read the early church, they were, they didn't violently, I'm not talking we got to go start like hitting the streets and tearing things down and all that. But we have to be dangerous for the gospel, and to be dangerous for the gospel means to be the image and the character of Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, I think you'll see some tremendous persecution, and I think, but you'll see some tremendous growth. Yeah, so that's my that's that's my humble opinion.
2: I think you're right about you can't. I'd say you can't straddle that line between kingdom and culture. Um, I I know in the Old Testament, like calling Jesus Lord. Like, I can't, forgive me, I don't know the Greek, but I know that it was the same word they would have used for Caesar. Mm -hmm. And this is like, this is from the man, Dr. Dave Smith, great (laughs) New Testament professor here. But he'd always say like, when you're choosing to worship Jesus, he's now the number one ruler and authority in your life. And it's not, in this case, like Caesar, which would have been, you know, driving cultural motivation was Mm -hmm. the Roman empire, what was happening in the Roman empire. And if you just think of it like logically, like, yeah, now we have dual citizenship. That's a thing. But like you, you, you can't be a, a member of one kingdom and the, the same another one at the same time, like in the ancient world when they were yeah. writing these things. So when you're declaring your allegiance to the kingdom of God, that is your ultimate allegiance. That is what you are sold out for. That is the thing that you're willing to die for in the same way that a Roman soldier might be willing to die for Caesar you're willing to die for your, your emperor, your king, Jesus Christ. And I think it's going to take that level of commitment and like a recognition that yes, you might live here right now, but this is not your home. This is not where you're going to be forever. Your eternity lies with Jesus Christ. And that's always where it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Live in that reality. Don't sit back and say, oh, you know, I'll get there eventually. No, the call is to, is to, to bring the kingdom to earth now and to transform our communities, our neighborhoods, our cities, our counties, our states, our countries, yeah. into tiny little kingdoms of God. And I think that's the motivation. That's, the, that's what the mission is. That's when the call to go and make disciples is to make little Jesuses, so that everything around you looks like heaven. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, it's, oh. It's fire. I don't know where I was taking that, but. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, like this, it's this, the society. We, we, we are society and cultural changers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I worry about, and I think about, and like I said, I say this about myself am I changing my culture through Christ or am I adapting my culture into my the- my belief of Jesus? And I think that is a very, that's where that.
0: It's a dangerous line. It
1: is a very dangerous line, that amalgamation. And so. Are you really walking the narrow road? Right. That's, and it's yeah. like, but what's happening is you've got so much information around you, right? I mean, good gracious. I mean, early Christians, uh, they didn't social media aspect. I mean, just ch- they're 20 years, right? You know, it's just, and that going forward, like social media is going to be really hard for you guys. For me, I'm 52 in a couple of weeks, right? Cell phones and social media are an attachment to my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with them. Any child being born now, it is symbiotic.
2: iPad in your hand, you're... Watching little cocoa melon. On you your are iPad. you are
1: literally cocoa. a you are literally a cyborg with a piece of electronics <laughs> attached to you, right? What's Elon Musk say? The biggest problem? Oh,
2: that Neuralink. I yeah, the Neuralink. Crazy. So what's what's
1: what's ne- e- e- Elon Musk say? Right. The problem is not the computer; it's us because we can't actually put enough information quick enough. And he That's wants the so Neuralink crazy. everything. So imagine oh, what that gosh. looks. So look at. I mean, I was imagine what it's going to look like for um, churches. Yeah. I mean, in the last, I think I read some other today where it said a third of the people have not returned after COVID. Because they've got used to sitting in a house.
2: What's it going to be like when you can download the sermon into your head and <laughs> right. watch it
1: whenever you want? So, like, <laughs> but, but look at that. So we base our impression sometimes, oh my right? Gosh, we base our impression of everybody shows up on Sunday morning at ten o'clock. We've packed the we pack a house of worship, but you know, there's a reality. The way technology is going, I was saying this the other day, where I can if, if let's take the metaverse for example, Oculus Rift, the, the, the Oculus. Church. You and I, Rift, we never met. We could put the Oculus on and all of a sudden we could be transported to a church building Mm -hmm. where Andy Stanley or Rick Warren or Vertex preaching, I turn to my left and you're sitting next to me. You're not anywhere near me. You're in Indiana, I'm in Maryland. And you now, how do you run? That's a, but you're still having church, right? Mm -hmm. You can still wave your hands. The praise team's in front of you. It's all in a digital world. So this idea of brick and mortar becomes obsolete maybe in a generation. I mean, Zuckerberg's banking on the idea, right? That we're all going to be like Wally. Oh. <laughs> you know, so these are, we're going to live in a virtual. COVID, if anything, created that space. Yeah. No one because, wants to leave their house anyway. No, right. So you got oh, to... But then... So but the trouble is, though, human beings are designed to be in community together. Mm-hmm. We're designed to be together. So to the extent we can have the giant corporate church on our Oculus... Mm-hmm. But I guarantee we're going to be pushed to doing small groups and doing life together with other people. And, and, but my generation will fight tooth and nail to keep that. But you guys are going to be your children and grand, my grandchildren, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> uh, no pressure, right. Daniel and Becca. All right. all <laughs> so right. they're, going to, they're literally going to be cyborgs with this technology. How does that play out for us as a church? How does that play out You know, in a sense of the mission? I still think it comes down to... You have to be a person who is not conforming to the pattern of this world. You're being transformed into the image of Christ, being renovated daily, and living out the kingdom, not trying to build your own little kingdom. Yeah. And I think that is the if you can maintain that. I mean, I have you know people say, "Oh, the next generation. I have trem- just listening to Dan and his mate Grant, even though he's a Michigan fan. You know, pray for him. <laughs> He's already lost. (laughs) He's already lost. You know, he's lost. Um, But, you know, I listen to you guys. I listen to you guys talk and I'm excited. I can't wait, you know, in 20 years when you guys are leading to be part of that church movement. I'm not one of these people saying I, I don't want to be this old guy, right? You know, mm-hmm. I remember back in my day when we used to sing "Elevation Worship," whatever this rubbish is that they're singing. You know, can't we have a can't we have "Rattle" come back? That was a great hymn back in the day. You
0: know, yeah. <laughs> r- yo, that's insane. I would th- that that r- like our worship songs being like kids being like, stop playing those old hymns. Yeah, hymns, <laughs> you know, Good
1: gracious, thing. You know, I don't want to be that guy, and I'm excited. I'm thinking, you guys have got. Man, your challenges that faced you in a community, and a culture of America, which is moving more and more away from Jesus. And you guys get the opportunity to be, because I'm a firm believer where you have pendulum swings away, you always have revival that comes back. Mm-hmm. And so you guys, I think, are on the cusp of a great revival. I think God is creating a remnant of believers. And I think there are great leaders out here who are trying to sound that call and there's this great remnant of believers, and you guys get to inherit them. And I think that you guys get the opportunity. I mean, my generation will do what we can, but I think, there's something about what you guys are going to be able to do is going to be, and it's exciting for me. I'm like going, "Wow, it's going to be really good to see you guys." You know, yeah. And you're going to fail at times, but I think you're going to succeed way more than um, I can barely imagine. I, like I said, I'm going to enjoy being a 75 year old man in a church looking at some young preacher like Daniel or Grant or Griff, or whatever, going, man, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. And I, like I said, and I want to be doing VBS to help you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> so my um, my question with that to add on
0: to it, is just that anytime, and I'm sure your generation coming into ministry, there was problems with the people before you that your generation was trying to correct. And me and Grant were talking about this and Gr- Grant actually brought this towards is that our generation can sometimes be naive in the fact to forget that there might be a generation after us that might be trying to correct some problems that we have caused. Yeah. Um, and that's not to have hopeless grace. And what I mean, what I mean by that term is sometimes we can be super like pessimistic, like, you know, we're going we to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to cause destruction. Really? Like that's what, that's the hope we want. are going to tear it down. We're going to gonna tear it you know, up. we got to destroy everything. But, um, we have to have more hope and faith in the Holy spirit that he can move and that we don't have to fall into certain things. But my question to you is that for, and you've kind of posed this and everything is that sometimes we have the temptation to overcorrect. And a lot of people listening, our, our audience hearing this podcast should be like high school students or young people that are navigating their calls into ministry. What would you say? In your experience, what would be your biggest advice as we navigate these issues and these pendulum swings to where that we do swing back to what we need to, but we don't go so far that we kind of cause our own, you know, swing that goes way too far and cause a little bit of hurt or
1: something. What's the old adage, throw the baby out with the bathwater? I think it's the old old timers. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to get back to a scriptural... Biblical understanding of what the mission is.
2: Amen. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Go, this is what I tell people all the time. So you, you believe in Jesus, that's great. You're gonna have a whole bunch of stuff. So go read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Dr. Lenny Lucetti, who's a professor on staff here and a friend of mine, memorized that whole thing. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he'll literally start, you have heard it said, and he'll put his Bible down and literally has memorized it. Right. Wow. I'm not saying you should go memorize and be learning the Shetty because he's an awesome individual, but what I'm trying to say is learn the Sermon on the Mount, and then read G- the Olivet Discourse when Jesus is speaking to his disciples for the last time, and then go read the Acts of the Apostles. Live those three things, understand what Jesus is really saying. Yeah, understand the commission and the he's given to the disciples in the Olivet Discourse, mm-hmm. right? And then go read the Acts of the Apostles and live like that. Wow. Understand what you're being asked to do. Most likely in North America, you're not going to die for it. Yeah, you might have some, you're going to have some struggles. There are other places around, but live that. Look at the world through that lens of who Christ is. Listen to the Spirit of God. Um, Listen to what is being said. Get yourself in a church which wants to change the world. Mm-hmm. Get yourself into a small group of believers in a small group that want to do something for their community. Live that oikos out. You know, really pattern. You know, be part of that, and then commit commit yourself to doing that. And I think that when you do that, yeah, there's going to be struggles and there's going to be fun. But I think that's the problem is we've got we all have opinions, right? Everybody has an opinion nowadays, no, right? Uh, everybody's a critic. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're all united. What? It's unity. I mean, if, if anything has taught me, and listen, I'm going to expose myself here. Thereof, I can be as opinionated as you can be, and Daniel will tell you that, right? Yep. I have my my Yes, thing, sir, and I am. But I'm questioned, like for one of the things that I came to Christ in '95. So understand what I'm coming into. I'm coming into the Jerry Falwell religious right '80s power grab. So I'm coming into that power grab, and I'm also coming into the Left Behind series. The world's going to end at Y2J, and I'm looking, going, my Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> left Behind is what the world. I, I, I'm going, I'm reading my Bible, going, doesn't make any. And sense. And I had a really hard time with, like, you know, what's Kirk Cameron doing? Yeah. So, <laughs> right, so but, but they, these people were very convicted about. It. Yeah. But I'm looking at it, going, what I saw was a complete power grab by evangelical Christians. Merge with Jesus is coming back. I have a really hard time when people say, "I can't wait for Jesus to come back." Yeah, that is one of the most selfish things I think you can say, because you understand if Jesus comes back now, those who are not believers perish eternally. They're done. They are done. So why would you get up now? I can understand your frustration, right? When you've got teenagers, Mm -hmm. my gosh, Jesus (laughs) go back now, right? And I understand that, but to me, we've got to reverse that. Yeah. we've got to say, I get up every morning and say, one of my standard prayers is, Lord, don't come back today. Give me one more chance to reach someone for the gospel. Mm. And, I, and I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm trying to say, that's, I think, a prayer that we need to have. And if you imagine 40 million Christians or evangelicals in this country got up in the morning and said, my mission today is in case Jesus comes back, I'm going to tell my neighbor about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how that changes? And I'm going to live for Jesus today. And I think that that's a real, real situation that we need to have and I think that there's, so my, when I came to Christ, I'm surrounded by whew, some stuff. And what it's proven is quite dangerous. Yeah. And it, that, um, and I got bored, I got born into that. And I had to work my way from that. And I've had to change a lot of way, I think, you know, and, and there's a bunch of things that I see. I start questioning about how, you know, and I want to say this before we, so I want you to join. I'm not knocking the church. Yeah. I absolutely love the church. I think there's a place for corporate church. I think there's a place for small groups. I believe there's a place for small church. I don't think there's one set like you have to be this or whatever. I think all of these things together, you've got to have leaders who run large churches because they do have more influence, right? And you've got to have community pastors who have influence in that community. You've got to have small groups. You have neighborhood churches. I think all of these things, ultimately what I love... All parts working together. All parts working together. What I love is the church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, that's what needs to happen. And, you know, and and the trouble is that I'm excited for your generation, but I'm looking at my generation. I'm looking at me going, what can I do today? Because I don't want to just leave it for you guys. That's just being lazy and selfish too.
0: You don't stop being sanctified. Right,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, what am I going to do to change this world? You know, I've got, like I said, I'm 52, right? And working for hospice? I know you guys don't want to think about it like this way. There is a difference between living a quality life and living a life of quantity. Mm-hmm. And I see it every day, and I see the reality: life is so precious, and it can turn and change on a dime. Make the most of what you're doing now, and make it happen for the kingdom. And uh-huh. I think when that gener- when we all think that way. I think there's going to be a tremendous change. And like I said, there are pastors I know and pastors at denominations and so forth who want that. They really do. You know, but it's there's a lot of moving parts and I think that's really important. And I think when we do that, this, and stop worrying about who we're voting into political parties. Forget that part. Just forget it. Forget like whether you're a Republican, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not a Republican, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm. Get together with church folk, get into your communities, change and transform them. Be Be transformed. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be the image and the moral and the character of Christ. And don't worry about all the other stuff and just focus on that. And I think when you read the Sermon on the Mount, read the Olivet Discourse, read the Acts of the Apostles, and really live it, then it will change. Yeah,
2: I think part with that renewing of your mind is the renewing of your vision too. And you start seeing people around you the way Jesus saw you, mm-hmm. and that's something that it's taken me a while to learn. Like the church can't be a, like a a bunker. That's just kind of we're all together in here. We all got our tickets. That door is sealed, and we are waiting for the end, waiting it out together. Instead, like no, no, the door wide open still. Like. <laughs> And being able to see maybe your angry coworker or the person you know who's sleeping with his secretary or cheating on his wife, doing this or that. Is that not, I mean, obviously the, the, the sin is is horrible, but seeing them not as the world tells you you're supposed to see someone like that, but instead seeing them as someone whom Jesus dearly loves and who they died for, I feel like a shift of mindset like that can really impact Like you said, every single day, if you see that person as like a brother or a sister in Christ, even though they might not be yet, if you see them that way, it should influence the way you interact with them and should give you Mm -hmm. a greater sense of urgency and care and passion for wanting them to enjoy the peace and the joy and the security that comes with knowing Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think... we. (laughs) I think we got to kind of shift the way we talk like, yeah, heaven's going to be cool, but it's not about, it's not about not going to hell. Like that's not what heaven is. Heaven is enjoying the fullness of the presence of God Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and enjoying the benefits are a plus, but it's not about the benefits that come along with that either. It's about knowing the one who loved you so much, he would die for you. you. And like, yeah, you, you won't go to hell because of that. And yeah, You can experience joy and you can experience peace, but that should be byproducts that come with simply knowing Jesus for who he is.
1: I I agree with that. The the story of the ascension, right? Yeah. So Jesus ascends and they're all going, well, they've never seen anybody flying to space like Superman. I mean, I get that part. It's a pretty crazy movie. What did the angels basically come say? Stop looking at the sky. Stop looking at the sky. He'll be back. Don't worry. Go do the mission. He he gave you commission and he gave you permission to go do this, Mm -hmm. right? Go do it. You know, yeah. Jesus talks very little about his return. What he says is, uh, uh, my, my pastor, Pastor Tucker um, he used to say, what do you want to be caught doing if Jesus comes back? What do you want to be caught doing? Do you want to be Good. caught doing the mission, which is what he told you? What do you want to be caught doing? Not the mission. Eating a Popeye's. Yeah. You want to be a Popeye <laughs> um, I haven't been to Chick-fil-A in a year and a half. No, not to Chick-fil-A. I like their food, but I just like going to Popeye's.
0: Yeah. Forget Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They
1: yeah. opened up,
2: open up a Popeye's, didn't they? Yeah. I was going to say, you could get it
1: today, but so, now you got to eat Popeye's. So so the problem is, it's like, you know, to answer your question about people, God speaks into existence. Everything in this universe. Mm. I've done a lot of deep dive, looking at the universe and how it's put together. I believe in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Mm-hmm. He's, out, he's a God out of space, time, and matter. I don't really care if it's 13.9 billion years old or it's 6,000 years old. I don't need to care about that. Mm-hmm. I, I love science. I was an engineer once. I love the idea of it, right? But in that uh, Genesis 1, there's this key movement. Everything that is other than us is spoken into existence and we're given dominion over it, right? To protect it, Yeah. you know? But we us humans created and molded and then the breath of life breathed in we as the church need to look at everybody we see as not a person who's just been spoken into existence but someone who has been created by god a masterwork a masterwork. Of his hands. when you say. look at a person the great jesse jackson once said never look down on a person unless you're giving them a hand up We've got to look at people in redemptive, Christian, Christ-like manner. And when we do that, I think that will change who we are as a people. Yeah, How we deal with the unhoused, how we minister to people who traditionally have been, say, against what the church has stood for. You have to look at a person and say, God created them. He didn't mm-hmm. speak them. He created us, formed us, and breathed life into us. And then he created So. And I think that's an important statement. I think sometimes you hear the statement, the church is often heard for what it's against, not what it's for. What I'm for is that every person I meet um, is a person who is able to be redeemed and they are able to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ because God created them to be that way. Mm -hmm. Whether they are lgbtq whether they're muslim whether they're non-believers whether they're whatever creed color or race they are that person is valuable to god Mm -hmm. and i think we need to look we need to look at it that way and i think when we get there like i said remember and i came to christ in 95 what i literally heard was these people over here are going to be ruining america but don't worry because in five years, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Y2, why Y2K, why Y2K is going is ha- to no, Y2, uh, Y2K is gonna happen. It's a, That's what I heard. It's going to hit the buzzer beater. It's going to hit the... So what kind of message is that? And I think that... that and, and and I see you guys, you're really embracing that. I mm-hmm. think there's you, you see that differently. But that to me yeah. is like kind of go do the mission, see everybody is redeemed, and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Right, we've we'll been so, talking uh, way too long, which I knew this would yeah. happen. Um, Joe Rogan, I'm coming.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so just to kind of land the the ship, there's something that me and Griffin like to end with, and that is because uh, we've already, um, if you listen to the past, last podcast, we've kind of we give advice normally to like past students and everything, but we were kind of we've asked you. And I think that's so good that for like students, like having those people, holding people accountable, keeping that passion, keeping to your convictions. So the way we like to end is we like to have a time of affirmation and we just want to affirm you um, as a pastor and just as a a child of God. Um, And to start us out, I mean, obviously, um, you're not a regular guest for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have everything you guys have heard right now is something very special to me is, uh, being able to, I think I said this to you months ago. Um, and obviously we don't go into specifics, but you had a trying season and you held it with such integrity. And I remember I was in the gym and you had texted me something, um, about how being a warrior in the garden, being someone that stands up for the kingdom of God, but also knows how to take care of things. And I remember I called you and I was just like, I just want you to know, dad, that I'm proud to be your son. And for anybody sitting there, the guy that you're listening on the microphone has been the guy my whole life. Someone that's just passionate for ministry. Someone that sees people where they're at. And loves them so well. And my affirmation for you in your current season is one of the things I love about you so much, Dad, is that you kind of came into the hospice uh, scene unexpectedly, but you have taken it on as if it was the calling of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I think is our main theme of this show is we might be going to different vocations, but our commission is to go and share the gospel and to be a light to others. And I think you represent that so well. And that has the effects. And I'll tell you this, we talk about the effects we might have, but the effects that you had on me from such a young age, like you were just talking about before we came in here, that I'm a person that goes after it. And that if I want to see something happen in ministry, I will work my hardest at it. And I think that is because you were my dad and you were such a good example for me. And, um, I, I, so much, especially this time in my life, oh, I have just been so inspired by your integrity, and I'm just so blessed. And I, I every sometimes I sit there and I'm like, that's it's really like I hear people in their struggles with their parents, and I'm just like, wow, like I'm so happy that that was story. I got blessed with my story being, my dad was an image of what I think Christ says where christ says i love the church and
1: and i think to kind of add to daniel that one thing i can say to the the audience yeah there are going to be challenges in your life and i experienced a a deep challenge and most of the time i was good yeah however there were a couple times where i wasn't where my emotions and my humanness overtook me and in those moments yeah we can promote like the Hey, when I, was, when I was the Christ-like character, because everybody, everybody likes to talk about themselves in a positive light, right? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you in these last few months, there have been a couple of times when I did not represent me nor Christ very well and expressed myself that way. Quickly owned up to it and you know was convicted of it. When you're going to go through trials in life and a good friend of mine, his name's Corey Allen Duncan Sr. Um, he's a pastor down in Indianapolis. And he talks about mess. He says, get your mess straight. And that's your mental, emotional, and spiritual state. Mm-hmm. There are going to be moments when you have struggle, where you are going to fall, you're going to make mistakes. Be willing to allow it to be redeemed. Yeah, Own up to that. Be, be the integrity and say, dang, I screwed up. Man, I messed up real big time, that one. And make that conviction. And take the punishment that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take it willingly. Take a step back, get yourself straight, get your mess straight and then move from there. So in that affirmation, I mean, I appreciate sure what Daniel's saying but it's like what I'm trying to say is in the last few months I've had to work on my mess mm-hmm. and my mental, emotional, spiritual state and like I said, I wasn't always, I mean, I tried to be the best I can be but there are moments but you got to steep going forward and that's something that's important.
0: Yeah.
2: Cool. I haven't had the extensive experience speaking to you as Daniel has for the last... 20 something years <laughs> but i can tell just from this hour and a half we've been talking that you're you're so passionate just to echo what he said and you're very very wise um and i can tell i sometimes speak myself out of passionate uh naivete but you speak passionately even though you've experienced all the ups and downs of being a pastor of working in the church you still have this passionate optimism And drive to continue to transform the world into the kingdom of god Um, and i know you know this but i want to just affirm it and restate that god is like not done with you amen he's going Mm -hmm. to keep pushing forward and um, advancing the kingdom through your efforts as a warrior in the garden and i think that's um, something that we all should hold on to but i want to affirm that in you now amen
1: Amen. to quote daniel what i I actually said was it's better to be a, a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war yeah, that's the quote.
0: And um you said something earlier in the podcast, and yeah, you came from England, you you know, we've done ministry in small churches, mostly in your context. And Dad, you might never be a name that a lot of people know, but I would say this a lot of people have been able to know the name of Jesus because of the influence you've had on their life. And you're not just some guy. You are a son of God, and you Amen. are a kingdom worker. And I was just talking to a pastor about this the other day, and I really think I was able to encourage him because of what I grew up in. But a lot of people might not know, but the, the you are doing, it matters to the kingdom of God. And that's not just some guy that's a son of God. And that's somebody that, to speak your own words, is valued. Right. And that sphere of influence is worth, you know how they say, "I." one thing I've always sat there my whole life is I know where my dad's treasure is. And I know it's not on this earth. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I appreciate so, yeah. that. You guys are awesome. I've enjoyed this. It's yeah. fun. Can I come back? I want to. Can, can, that. I <laughs> can I come back? I want to talk about this whole thing like apotheosis. I want to talk about. It's <laughs> <that. laughs> my big dive. We'll right just there. get. We'll I just want to come s- promote my um, dissertation on. Oh my gosh! Stuff like Egg. that. I got that's so much a, to that's say. That's a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, what is uh the last question we normally end with, Griffin? So just as we close here, there's been an
2: amazing conversation. But what we want to do now is pray for you. So how can we be praying for you, um, currently?
1: Oh, uh, um. Just the, uh, I've got to write my dissertation mm-hmm. and I'm really passionate about helping 40 to 60 year old Christian men and non-Christian men um, just embrace spiritual practices while working out, building fellowship with one another. I mean, truly good fellow. I mean, yeah. through the, eating well, you know, doing meditation and doing, um, getting their patterns and all this kind of stuff. But that merge, I real feel like a passion to kind of, you know, and use even social media is that Daniel's been saying, dad, you should get a TikTok," And I've been kind of resistant to that. <laughs> but start promoting spiritual formation practice, but with fitness regimen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a work in progress. Um, I go I, as I learn, it's like, you know, I get connected to things, just that motion. Cause I really feel if I can help people, especially men, um, Get healthy and stronger, and spiritual, both spiritually and physically. How much that means different for the kingdom. Yeah. Um, also working with hospice, you know, I, I go into people's houses and lives in some of the worst days of their existence. Yeah. And that can take a, you know, I'm usually upbeat about everything, like, but that take just give the grace that when I'm there, I'm being the gospel mm-hmm. and being the truth, and just and just um. And just things like that. And just uh, kind of, I mean, we just, we've had a few experiences this year and stuff like that. And um doing well with that, moving on from that, but just the ability to keep reaching out to people and um, just ministering with them in the, in the worst of days. Mm-hmm. So,
2: Bow our heads and pray. Yeah. Father God, we thank you for this time you've given us to spend together here um, for the pleasure to meet Dan's father. God, I pray for him that as he continues to work on this dissertation, if he's anything like I am, uh, a lot of days when he probably doesn't want to work on it, but that you would uh, continue to renew him and and energize him to see the worth of this work that he's doing, that um, spiritual fitness and physical fitness really go hand in hand, God, um, that our bodies are good things and that they can't be separated from our soul. So we need to care for them both. Like we'll have them forever because we will. Um, And I know that, I don't know that, but I know you know that working as a hospice chaplain can be a very difficult trying time. Um, There's going to be days when you won't want to be upbeat, happy, um, when you continually face death every day, but let him live in the truth that he knows the one who holds the keys of death um, and let that joy radiate from him into the lives of these people who truly will be experiencing their darkest days. Um, That they can see that the day has been won by Christ, that death has no rule over them forever. Um, For the believer, death is just this time between now and forever. I pray that he Show that love of Christ to those people who really need to feel love. Um, To be a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen, a mouth to encourage. To truly be you, Jesus, in the lives of these people, um, whether they know you or not. Continue to reinvigorate him, to energize him in his day-to-day efforts to advance the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you guys. No problem. Hey,
0: send us out Griff. All the
2: music you've heard today on our show was brought to you by the band Caledonia. You can find them on Instagram at official Caledonia and their Bandcamp link will be down below in the show
0: notes. All right. And we know this is probably going to be a longer episode, so it's worth it. It's worth it. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for your support. Yeah, we really do Um, appreciate it. We have some exciting stuff coming up and we got a whole nother semester at this and continuing on and yeah, just praise the Lord. This has been fun. It It is fun. It is fun. I
2: I would love to do this on my full-time job.
0: So (laughs) hey, share it with your friends. Hey, so all right. See y'all next week. I hope your Thanksgiving was great. So all right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
3: Stay. Hey. and some worn out tea